Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, good morning, welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. We've got your questions we're being answering we're going to be answering today, sorry, a bit tongue-tied. It is a little bit early over here in the West, but we've got a whole bunch of amazing questions come through and we just couldn't answer them on Friday. So we thought, well, look, let's just roll over and we'll do some more this morning. So I'm gonna fly at them with you this morning, but if you've got some, don't hesitate to go and put them up and post them for us. When you do, please tell us where you're located. It does make a big difference and you'll understand why very, very soon. Um, so first up this morning, uh, we're going to go straight to Melbourne to say hello to Terry. Terry's got a problem that I actually experienced myself in my own garden now. It's a white wisteria. She planted it four to five years ago, still hasn't produced any flowers. Terry, take heart. The white wisteria does need to be quite mature before it actually produces a good display of flowers. Mine last year uh, at, at year four produced a few small racemes, but this year, a lot better year five, next year it'll get better and better again. So with the white, it does seem to need to be more mature. Um, let me just have a quick look and see, is there anything else that you can do to help make it bloom? No, the answer is it's just maturity. So, so don't feed with too much uh, nitrogen and you'll be fine. Naomi in West Gippsland in Victoria, we're getting a few through from Victoria, that's great. Uh, her family absolutely loves passion fruit and uh, she's got two passion fruit vines, non-grafted, which are both two years old. Now, there is one thing with non-grafted passion fruit and I'll, I'll mention it to you when I get through to the end of this question. Neither of the passion fruit have produced any flowers and is the question is, is this because they're non-grafted and is there anything you can do to help them produce flowers? The answer is yes, you can help them produce flowers, but seedling passion fruit tend to take at least a couple of years before they'll start producing sort of flowers. Year three, you should get some pretty good flowers, but there's a couple of things you need to be aware of. With passion fruit, don't feed them with a high nitrogen fertilizer. And there are a lot of fertilizers that are quite high in nitrogen. So look for something, something like say citrus and fruit as a, as a specialist fertilizer if you wanna get great results. Um, when you're in Victoria, any of the cool estates, keep your eye out for the Nellie Kelly brand of passion fruit. Now they have grafted and, and non-grafted um, passion fruit, but the grafted passion fruit that they have in Victoria is, is fantastic for Victoria because it's grafted onto a cool climate passion fruit called Carula, Passiflora Carula, and it's the blue flowering passion fruit. 
in Victoria, it does unbelievably well in getting crops pretty much within the first year. So if you're thinking about putting a passion fruit in, look for the Nellie Kelly that's been grafted. If you're in other states, sandy states in particular, or sandy areas in particular, um, the seedling passion fruit are probably my personal preference. So I would be looking at planting seedlings. Leonie from Kilburn in South Australia, she's sprayed her small tangelo for mealybugs twice. She can't see any more remaining at the moment, but the flower buds look like mealybugs. They are clever things. And she wants to know if she should be keeping spraying. Well, the truth of the matter is that mealybugs in cold weather, so during the winter, go down the base of the plant, get into the soil, and they sit in the soil. So sometimes just maybe giving the soil a drench and something like bathroid is the way to go um, as far as a chemical to control it. This is a, a terrible insect. Once you get into hot, dry conditions, this will take over and it gets into the leaf access and causes all sorts of problems. So bathroid is probably a good way to go. You can go online to the Good Bug website and there are some natural predators you can buy that are actually delivered to you via mail. So I hope that helps. Christine from Busselton here in Western Australia. How can I grow bigger, better, tastier strawberries in a container? Well, it really gets down to, Christine, the quality of the soil and two, feeding and liquid feeding with a specialist fruit promoting fertiliser will deliver big, juicy fruit. So you can't go wrong with that. And of course, keep them in full sun. Diane, I'm not sure where Diane's from. And this is where sometimes uh, it can be a little problematic, but in this particular instance, it's not too difficult. Can I use the outside area of your chook pen where the scraps go as garden soil? And the answer is yes, of course you can. Uh, as long as there's lots of organics in there and you've got water, it'll actually be a fantastic soil to, um, to use. Ruth from the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. Hi, everybody up there in Queensland. We haven't had any questions yet from you guys. So Ruth, you're the first one up. She's got termites in her compost. Is it okay to use in the veggie patch? Definitely not until you treat the termites because you don't want to be spreading them around. There's probably a bigger issue and that is um, for termites to be getting into your compost, it suggests that your compost is not moist enough. So make sure you put a wetting agent over the top of that compost before you do anything and you'll be fine. Lorraine, now Lorraine, uh, she didn't give us her, her location but she's given us a great picture, which hopefully you, you can see up there on screen. What on earth are those strange little holes? Can you tell me what's going on in the garden bed? Well, the answer is these are antlion nests. And an antlion is actually, believe it or not, it's like a, a little hoverfly um, as an adult. But the larvae are actually literally, the, the eggs are sown in the ground, the larvae hatch and they dig out these holes. And they're called antlions because they are incredibly ferocious. And those little pits are designed so when an ant or any other insect walks past, it slips down into the bottom of the hole and the larvae is sitting in the bottom of the hole. It grabs it, pulls it in under the sand and eats it. It's an amazing little insect. There are about 2,000 species found around the world, but um, they love sandy, dry locations, which is why this is up alongside the wall. So I hope that helps, uh, Lorraine. That's a really interesting one. Are they bad? No, they're good, is the simple answer too. Let's go across to Victoria and here's Hannah. Hannah's got a question. Hi there, just wondering how close together you can plant limoncellos and mandarin trees if they're being espaliered. And the answer is probably two to two and a half metres or so, Hannah. That's really the key. Um, 
So we'll try and keep that. Naomi, I'm not sure where you are, but she loves passion fruit, growing her own. She's got two passion fruit vines. They're both two years old, have not had any flowers on them. This is quite a common problem when you're feeding high nitrogen fertilizers. So I would back off the fertilizer um, altogether, to be quite honest, and just let them do their own thing. And they'll start producing in the future. If you do want to feed them again, citrus and fruit fertilizer, is what you need to be doing and don't do too much of it because um, once the plant is established they don't need much more. Heading up into Queensland, we really are belting through these aren't we? Uh, Glenda in Townsville, can you suggest a grass seed that you can grow and you know what, yes there's a few different types of grasses that will do very well in those sort of subtropical, tropical conditions. Um, she's basically got a good irrigation system, but it's only encouraging weeds at the moment. Queensland Blue is a type of cooch, obviously developed up in Queensland for those hot, humid conditions. Absolutely brilliant. Zoysia grass, there's a few different types of zoysia grass, and zoysia grass is a really good one for up there. But you can also go for carpet or mat grass. Now, carpet and mat grass is a, a real classic tropical broadleaf grass, and they do really, really well. So can I definitely recommend that you, um, you take a look at those three. If you want a good grass, a good ground cover, they're the way to go. Um, let's come back to Perth. Claudia uh, recently moved to five acres, and there's some stone fruit trees that haven't been pruned in a long time. Some are in flower, some already have leaves. Is it too late to clean up around the base of the trunk where there's a lot of suckers? Thanks in advance for any help. Claudia, the answer is absolutely now is the time to get rid of those suckers. But don't cut them away with secateurs. Pull them away with your bare hands. So you need to blind the buds. If you cut, you'll get two buds burst out from underneath that cut. But if you pull it away, you'll blind all the buds and you'll stop it from suckering. It's gonna take probably a, a year or two of occasionally going through and ripping them away, but eventually you'll get to that point. Let's head up to Brisbane. Now, possums invading and eating crops is a fairly common problem. I hear this out of Melbourne a lot as well. And there are some possum deterrents out there that you can get. Um, they especially love, in Sarah's garden, they especially love the roses and she wants to think about um, trying to get rid of them and keeping them away from, from there. Um, so she's thinking about what does she do? Does she stick them in, in a enclosed veggie plot or what? What I would do is I would create a repellent if I was you. And that repellent would be made up of a combination of crushed dried chili and white pepper. And what I would do is I would wet down all the plants that they are attacking, particularly the roses, and I would dust them with this dust. And make sure you're wearing a dust mask when you do because you will, you'll get uh, very teary and, and uh, irritated sinuses if you're not careful. But that's exactly what it does to the possums. It irritates their sinuses. They remember those plants because every time they come near it, they'll still smell that. They've got a good sense of smell and they will veer away and they'll avoid them. So they'll go to other plants. So the plants that you want to keep or that you're not concerned about um, or that you are concerned about, then make sure you dust them white pepper and also crushed chilli. Let's head across to Tassie. Oh, we haven't had one from Tassie for a long time. Hello Donna, um, should you put hay around my lettuce? The answer is absolutely, great way to go. Good way to keep snails and slugs away. In fact, that's why the French called, or the English called uh, the fraceberry the strawberry because the French would use straw around the base of their, their strawberries. 
um, to keep snails and slugs away. They don't like coming across and that means that your lettuce will be snail and slug free. Back in Tasmania, northwest Tasmania, Natasha, even though it's best for hydrangeas to get morning sun and not afternoon sun, what if I put it in the afternoon sun and shade in the morning? Will it brown or will it be okay? Look, they can, even here in Western Australia, they can grow out in full sun. Um, they do get very hard. They're not as lush with their foliage. Um, and sometimes in scorching hot weather, and it's probably a lot less likely in northwest Tasmania than it is here in the west or further north, you know, in Queensland, for example, um, you're not going to get the burns. So I would say that you should be okay, but just be willing to accept that they're not going to be as lush and green maybe as you quite like, but they will definitely grow. Michael in Melbourne, how do you make garlic bulbs bigger during planting? Would sulphate of potash help? Well, actually the key with garlic bulbs is not to be feeding too much. When you're planting, a little bit of blood and bone in the soil, but the trick to getting the biggest bulbs is actually taking away any competition. So I tend to plant my garlic bulbs literally in amongst other vegetables because they also act as a natural insecticide, but I only end up getting little tiny bulbs. If you keep them separate in a free-draining soil, they get really big plants and they get really big bulbs, and that's really the key. So it's competition. Reduce the competition, you get bigger bulbs. Debbie in Perth, what cottage-style plant should I plant under the patio? The front corner gets sun, but the rest of the patio is in full sight. Look, to be quite honest, my recommendation is that you head down to your local independent garden centre, talk to them, uh, to their, their horticulturalists, because they all have horticulturalists, about those kinds of plants. In the Perth area, there's a whole bunch of different plants that would suit, it does really well with cottage plants, particularly when they're planted this time of the year. So there's, a, there's an enormous array and it just gets down to what colours and shapes and sizes you prefer. Heading across to New South Wales, we are belting through this, aren't we? Uh, Rebecca, would you be able to give me some information regarding the white paintbrush bulbs? Now, she's got a few in pots and they've done rather well over the last six months, but it's now getting hotter up in northern New South Wales. I'm not sure what to do about watering, how much should I move them out into the sun? Generally, they would grow in sun. Now, if you're not sure what the white paintbrush bulbs are, if you know the blood lily, they're from the same genus. So Haymanthus is the genus. They're a really, really, beautiful plant. I absolutely love them. And um, they tend to, they actually originate from South Africa and they tend to go dormant in the sort of the peak of summer. And then in the autumn, they'll produce flowers, in this case, white flowers. So literally there's no foliage at all. The white flowers are produced. And then when you get to sort of the end of winter, you'll start getting these huge, big strappy leaves coming out. Those who've got them know exactly what I'm talking about. I hope that helps you. It is a beautiful plant. You're very lucky and they do love growing in pots. So leaving them in a pot is not a bad thing. Joy from Junie in New South Wales. Why has my weeping mulberry got single white blossoms and double pink blossoms on the same plant? Is this normal? Should I do something? The answer is probably going to be that you have the rootstock growing up. So. Generally with all wheat, or well, generally with all cherries, you'll find they're grafted onto a rootstock. That rootstock is a wild rootstock and it produces single white flowers. That's the giveaway. What happens is on a standard is that rootstock's really long and 
um, it's grafted on the top. But if any buds shoot up underneath, you'll start to see white flowers emerge. And if you don't pull them away, just as we were talking about suckers before on fruit trees, and if you don't pull them away, what'll happen is it'll eventually take over. All the vigor going to the weeping plant will be lost and eventually you'll end up with a wild cherry growing there. So um, look below the graft, remove any suckers and you should be back to your beautiful double pink blossoms. Joy, I hope that helps. Heading back up to Queensland, we're all over Australia today. It's fantastic to be able to help you um, all over the, the country. Kate in Queensland, can you help with plant selection for loamy, highly alkaline soils? Bottle brushes and calendulas do really well. Um, she's searching for other shrubs and my underground water is slightly salty, high in calcium, quite alkaline as well. And that's what's being used on the garden. That is quite a challenge there, Kate, you've thrown at me and again, Right up front, I would say to you, the best source of information is always going to be your local garden centre because they, the horticulturists live in the area, they grow plants in the area and they know the problems that are arising. You really have a very specialised challenge there. There are a lot of plants that do exceptionally well in highly alkaline soils. The unknown factors here are your levels of humidity, etc. So um, there are certain tropical grevilleas, for example, that do really, really well. Um, I would be getting some local advice on the species that suit best. And, you know, it's your chance really to have a walk around the garden centre and have a look at those plants as well. Now, we're heading out into the wheat belts a little bit further than the wheat belt almost actually. Meriden in WA, John is asking if pea pods are infected with rust, could it af affect and carry the, the uh, could it infect and carry the infection forward into the next season if the seeds are collected from these infected pods? The answer is yes, it, it really can. So what I would suggest, John, is that you look at fresh seed and do not plant your peas in the same garden bed where you've had this rust infection. Rust is a, is a terrible fungal infection of plants and it can spread very, very easily. So it's not uncommon with peas, but my recommendation is not to keep those those peas for that purpose. Some people might dust them in a fungicide and that may well do the job, but look, the, the best practice is to start with fresh, clean seed that has not sort of been come from an infected plant. And that applies to all plants. If, if the plant is unwell, if it's sick, don't use the seed from it. It's highly likely you're gonna transfer that into the next crop. Teller, hello Teller, Upper Hunter, New South Wales, big fan of ours. My pony snapped my husband's grossless tomato off at the stem. I can't do anything about the pony doing that, but I will give you a little bit of advice on that. Will it reshoot and will it be okay? The answer is yes, it will be okay. It should reshoot. Um, the thing that you need to be aware of about tomatoes, which you may or may not know, is the only edible, plant, edible part of a tomato is the fruit. Everything else on a tomato is actually poisonous. So if the horse has been eating tomato, it's gonna to make it unwell. And if it eats too much, it could become quite a serious problem. So you need to make sure that the pony cannot get back into your husband's tomatoes. It's not good for them to be eating that. And that applies for, for humans as well. We shouldn't eat any part of it. In fact, the leaves can cause very, very severe um, allergic reactions in people. So just to make you aware of that. 
Terry in Melbourne, uh, why isn't my white wisteria flowering yet? It's been four to five. I think we might have just answered that question before. Um, Leah in Brisbane, how do I deal with red spider mite on tomato plants? Now this is, the further we get north, the drier the conditions are, and red spider mite, or two-spotted mite as it's sometimes called, is almost invisible to the naked eye. It's a um, a tiny little insect, it goes down into the soil during the winter, it comes up during the hot, dry season, and it gets underneath the leaves of all sorts of plants, including tomatoes. And uh, Leah has mentioned that she's used white oil with no success. And the reason it's probably not been successful is the white oil sitting on the top, but it's not getting underneath. If it was underneath the stem, so if you were squirting up under the plant, you'd probably have a greater effect. You can get uh, beneficial insects, and they come from the Good Bug website and these beneficial insects are predatory mites and they will get in and eat the red spider mite. It's a nice natural way to do it. Uh, There are some chemicals like bathroid that you can spray to control uh, pests like red spider mite or mealybug. Um, My preference would be to avoid chemicals wherever you possibly can on things that you're going to eat. Melissa, you've got a very big weekend of farm. It's 117 acres and this year she's got big problems with Patterson's Curse, Saffron Thistle, um, tom apples and a few other nasties that have sprung up everywhere. Could I recommend the best weed killer, um, but one where your grass survives? So you want a selective herbicide, but when you're talking 117 acres, um, there's nothing that you're going to get in the local garden centre that's really going to do the job effectively to cover that area. You need to go to a local stock specialist or a rural supply company. It's my only advice to you is to go and talk to them, talk to them about the chemical brands that they have that will treat all of those. But generally a selective herbicide that takes out broadleafs will control all of those quite well. And now is the time to be applying it, Melissa, before they go into flower and start spreading seed. Let's have a look where we're heading. Jamie, thank you very much for telling us where you are. Hazelwood in Victoria. Planted a few ficus over, over a year ago and had two out of the four die. They don't. There doesn't seem to be any new, I think this is growth on them. Um, and they have leaves turning yellow, then black. Now this is in Victoria, um, so you need to understand ficus are a a subtropical, tropical tree. Um, In Victoria, if they were exposed to temperatures under five degrees Celsius, which you are highly likely to have, it's been a cooler, wetter winter for many of our friends in Victoria, and that will knock them back really badly, particularly if the root system hasn't developed. They hate cold soil and they hate getting waterlogged feet as well in cold conditions when they're not growing. My suggestion to you, Jamie, would be that if you're going to grow them, grow them in pots, and they may well be in pots you haven't mentioned either way. Um, Ceramic pots tend to be something that absorb the heat of the sun, so that's gonna help them a little bit more, but in Victoria, if I was going to go for standards, honestly, I would probably go for lily pilly standards. I think they're going to perform better for you as a, as a plant alternative. And there's really not a lot you can do about those ficus. Um, it's, it's probable that they might start to bounce back, but they're probably always going to struggle with those cold winters. Um, Brigitte in, uh, in Mallee, Victoria, what are the best drought tolerant plants to plant? Well. This is, this is a, quite a common problem. A lot of people saying, well, look, I've got very dry conditions. And really what you want to be looking for is local native plant species, if you can. They're the ones that have actually adapted to the climate. They can handle those dry periods of time. 
and sometimes many of them will get through many years without watering at all if you're in a really dry location. So look for local natives. If you're looking for exotics, again, head to your local independent garden centre. You cannot get better advice than somebody who's on the ground around the corner from you. Kiara in Perth. Should coffee grounds composted be kept from poultry? That's a good question. Look, I can't see any reason why they would cause any problems for your chooks. Um, they make fantastic soil improver. Uh, like all things, it should be a mixture, not them all on their own. But um, if they've been through some kind of composting process, you should be fine. Let's move down the line. We've got Cheryl. I'm not sure where you're from, Cheryl. But uh, my lime tree's dropped a lot of its new buds. Uh, I read that it'll do this when there are too many. Is this true? Yes, it's actually quite true. So citrus trees in particular are really interesting. So basically the time of them setting flower, they will determine the number of fruit and the size of the fruit and how big it'll be at that moment in time. And it's all based on the amount of water they have, the amount of nutrients in the soil and their general health. So they make that determination. But if you change those conditions later on, and the classic with citrus is giving them lots and lots of water during the growing season, so suddenly the fruit's growing, it's getting extra water, you'll start seeing just before the fruit is fully ripened, it starts splitting. And that's because there's just a lot more nutrient coming through than the, than the plant ever intended, and the fruit was never intended to be bigger than, than it grew to. So it'll still suck up as much nutrient as it can, and moisture, and eventually split. So um, try to keep your application of fertilizers and water at the same level that it's getting right at the moment. That's the best bit of advice I can give you. Kylie in Perth, she's got a mango tree, but all the leaves are translucent and paper thin like cobwebs. Now she's watered and fertilized, but nothing seems to improve it. I would suggest that could be a case of red spider mite. That is very, very likely, I would think. Um, Again, I would look at actually dusting that mango with a little bit of uh, a little bit of sulphur. I wouldn't go changing anything except for giving it a regular feed with a, a citrus and fruit fertilizer. I tend to think that it is an insect problem, but it could be nutrient. But the combination of treating the red spider mite, and as I said before as well with red spider mite, you can get off the web, off the Good Bug website you can get these, um, these uh, predatory mites that will go in and do a great job for you. Kylie, I hope that helps. Coral Ann in Victoria, what stops curly leaf on, sit on fruit trees? Um, the best solution is to be spraying them with a copper-based spray. There is one called Coside. It's really effective in treating them, but you've got to do it when the trees are dormant, when they don't have any foliage on. Once they've got foliage on and you're seeing that curly leaf come through, go through and pick all the blistered leaves off. This is a fairly common problem and um, the best thing to do is pick those off. It'll push out new foliage. That new foliage should be free of any of those diseases. Faye, this is, this is great. You guys are providing so much fantastic content here. Faye, my pomegranate tree has flowers on it. Can I prune it now or do I have to wait until after it's finished bearing fruit? It is about three to four metres high right now. If you are going to get enough fruit um, from your pomegranate or if you don't care about getting fruit from your pomegranate, uh, yes, you can go and prune it now. I would wait until it's completed fruiting and then in the autumn I would give it a feed before it goes dormant. So... Um, 
general rule is don't prune any flowers off your fruit trees, otherwise you'll end up in a situation where you won't get fruit. Marianne in the mid-north of South Australia. When should I trim my Japanese box? I'm growing a hedge. I live in the country and I'm trying to have a city yard. Right, I see. You like that formality. And that's the thing with your box is you have to trim it on, on a regular basis. Um, yeah, so trimming all hedges is really uh, something that you should do. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Use the code GURUS for free shipping on orders over $30. Offer ends 31st of October. Carla in New South Wales, while having my orange and mandarin trees fruited for three years, they're regularly fertilised and watered throughout the year, and this is actually probably the problem, is that you're feeding too much. So citrus are one of those trees, actually one or two times a year is all you need to do. And generally it would be before it flowers and after you've harvested. So there's only a small gap there. So there's a period of time when you do want to encourage some good growth, and that's usually after it's put all its energy into that fruit and you've harvested that fruit, you need to boost it up. Uh, let's have a bit of a look here. We've got Tracy in Listerfield, Victoria. She's looking to redo a garden bed and I'm expecting you're gonna see a photo pop up on the screen any second now, magic of technology. There we go. She's looking to do, to redo a garden bed that faces the northeast. Now this is an outdoor area, however, it's on the boundary line and the block um, has three large gums on, on the other side, that's the next door block by the looks. Um, therefore, they get very little direct sun. It's good in summer, not so much in winter. I've planted camellias and azaleas, but want a feature that looks directly from sliding doors. Thinking of fernery, can you give me some ideas? Rocks have been moved and recycled to another area. A fernery would be fantastic. The other thing you could do on that wall is to put a living wall in there. And again, ferns would be great in a living wall, but you could you could do many of those foliage indoor plants. I'm not sure whether you get frosts through there in the winter time, Tracy. It would be one thing you'd have to keep out. One of the plants that comes from Victoria and Tasmania that I just love, I think they're just so beautiful, is the man fern or the Dixonia antarctica, the Antarctic tree fern, which you'll see growing uh, up in the Dandenongs, uh, out in bushland. It is a beautiful plant and if you can get the moisture levels right through there, you could put four or five of them in and create a real fernery. You could create something that really does look like you are in a rainforest, which might be quite nice for where you're sitting. So that might be my suggestion. Again, 
always a great idea to go and have a chat to your local garden centre. Sheree in Bunyip in Victoria, we're getting a lot of Victorian questions through. That is great news. Um, hope you're all doing well over there. You, you've been in our thoughts and, and uh, hearts go out to you with the challenges you've had with COVID. Sheree in Bunyip, how can I get my peace lily to flower? Well, here's a couple of little tricks. So if you want to try and stimulate a little bit of flower, banana skins in around the base of your peace lily will actually help stimulate flower, believe it or not. So every time you have a banana, put the skin in around the base. If you really want to fast track that process, you can actually put a big plastic bag over the top of the plant and um, you can accentuate the ethylene gas that is flowing up from the breakdown of that banana skin. And that seems to trigger the flowering process and it's actually the trick that many growers use as well. Um, if it's lush and green like this, it can also be caused through a high level of nitrogen in the fertiliser. So when you're looking at fertilisers, look at flower promoting fertilisers for your um, for your, um, your spathophyllum. Now, Lida, how do you grow good tomatoes? I've just planted them. Well, full sun, uh, they do like to have regular water, but they don't necessarily, they, they probably prefer it on the drier side, if, if anything. They don't want to be too wet. Uh, Obviously, really good soil is the key. So a good compost is always going to do well. Um, and I think that um, maybe one of the best things, one of the best bits of advice you might ever get would be a recent session that we did with the, the team from Love the Garden. Karen jumped on board and we did this session Friday the 2nd of October. And uh, she gave some amazing advice on getting great results from tomatoes. And she had some, uh, some couple of recipes that were attached to that that were really good. You can listen back to this or catch up with it via Apple Podcast, Podbean and Spotify. Um, that's a good way to, to go. Now, um, and all you have to do is just type in the Garden Gurus. Uh, ep Episode nine, there we go. Thanks, Michaela. You, you do know that I might be sitting here sharing all this advice with you and, and that's my background, so I'm in a position to do that. But I have a bunch of experts who sit around the outside of me that help produce our TV show, do amazing work, and um, it's the support of, of them that makes this all possible. So uh, Michaela, Ben, and Jimmy, say thanks to them. All right, let's just keep rolling through. Steve, not sure where you're from, Steve. How do you germinate magnolia and protea cuttings? He's tried cutting powder. He's tried honey, glad wrap with soil around a scored branch, but it's never worked. Well, definitely Clonex is the way to go. It's a product you'll find in garden centres. And uh, if you're going to do magnolia and protea cuttings, then get the red Clonex. Okay, so that's for hardwood cuttings. And to be quite honest, the time to, to grow your own magnolias and proteas, best time to take the cuttings for me is in May. And the, one of the tricks is to have them on a heat mat. So you can get these propagation heat mats in, in independent garden centres. I don't know whether you'll get them for the big chains, but certainly independent garden centres. You put your tray on top, they run at a certain temperature, warm the soil, it encourages the root growth very quickly through the bottom. So if you do it in May, you'll be planting your cuttings into pots uh, around about August, September, and you'll have plants ready to go in the garden probably February, March, April the following year. That's how quick it all happens if you get it right. 
Amanda from Greenvale in Victoria, another Victorian question. Fantastic, thank you guys. Keep it coming in. My lemon tree has been affected badly by citrus gall wasp. Now this is a big problem in certain parts of the country, not so much here in the West, but it does occur occasionally. It's got a lot of lemons on it and she's concerned about cutting it right back at the moment. She doesn't want to lose the tree, probably doesn't want to lose the fruit too. What should you do? Well, there is a gall wasp trap you can get and I would go and get that right now. I would hang that in the tree. I would let the, the lemon produce its fruit, harvest the fruit, and then afterwards I would selectively go through and remove any branches that have the galls forming. This wasp can be quite a problem, but those traps are a great way to go. Um, Judy in Bendigo, how do I get rid of large meat ant nests? We've tried putting ash on them. It's a clever trick, the ash does sometimes work, um, but the best thing if you wanna move them on is talcum powder. So the talcum gets into the joints, into the arms, it's very fine and they hate it and they spend all their time cleaning themselves and they're very distracted and they will get up and move their nest somewhere else. So um, nice natural way to do it, you're avoiding using chemicals, which is really important. Lynn, back in Perth. Hello, Lynn. She's having problems with weeds in her lawn due, due to unkept yards around the outside of her, and she's been trying to dig them out. But due to health, she's finding it hard. Can you help me? What can I spray the lawn with? This is a fine leaf lawn uh, that I can... No, it's not. Maybe it is a buffalo lawn. So I would be using weed and feed. I would use one application, uh, then two weeks later I would do another application and two weeks later I would do a third application. If you have a broadleaf lawn, look for weed and feed for buffalo. Now broadleaf grasses can be some of the zoysia grasses, definitely buffalo grass, definitely kaikuyu. Those three grasses have to have weed and feed for broadleaf. If you use a fine leaf, you will damage the, the, the leaf on your broadleaf lawns, you'll set them back, you'll end up with big patches. So use the right weed and feed, but that's, those selective herbicides are probably the best way to go when you've got something like that. I'm just gonna save the back. Um, staying in, in WA for the moment, Leanne in Hillary's, she's put down some weed mat in some of her garden beds with mulch over the top, and she's wondering about the usefulness of sea soil, soil wetter and conditioner. Now the mat is permeable to air, it is. It allows air and water to, to penetrate through, but will the wetting agent be able to penetrate the mat or is she wasting her time? Well, the answer is uh, the wetting agent will flow through just as water would flow through the mat, and yes, it will do its job. Um, of all the soil wetters, I think sea soil soil wetter and conditioner is the one that I trust and rely. I, I find the liquid so much more effective and the fact that you've got sea soil in that uh, it allows you to actually condition the soil, keep the soil healthy. And weed mat can reduce the amount of air in the soil and that can cause a lack of biodiversity in, that, that, um, in, in the microbes that you're finding in the soil. So it means that your soil is sometimes not as healthy as it should be. So I would definitely be looking at that. Let's head up to Queensland, to the Gold Coast. Uh, Deborah, I need help with my roses and the little pests that have now called them home. She lives on the Gold Coast, very sandy soil. Since 1st of October, she's noticed these little critters hanging onto the top of the rose stems. Gardenia flowers and newly, newly planted flowering bulbs as well. Now, these are white and they are white and they are also yellow blighters with six legs. That's pretty cute, Deborah. Um, I've been spraying with Pestor from Yates, but they're hanging on. Now, the white ones are probably dead. They're probably the shells, so you're probably having some effect. The yellow ones are definitely active. 
and they're hanging on. And uh, she cannot use anything too sinister because she's got three native beehive boxes in the garden. Can you give me some suggestions to protect the new flowers? Look, you know what, I, I had a bit of a think about this and there are a few different things that you can do, um, Deborah, to, to get control. Um, my suggestion to you would be that you look at dusting them, I think, with a sulphur dust. That should knock them around. If they're not too extreme and, and you can control it, even hosing off with, um, with the high pressure hose is enough generally to knock the populations back. What you will find though is naturally, um, natural predators start to build up and you'll get things like hoverflies that'll come around and, and take them out. So I wouldn't go spraying anything too much if you're really desperate, if there's really big quantities of them, hit them with a bit of sulphur dust. Carmen in Ballarat, any tricks for sprucing up a potted lemon? Yes, take it out of the pot, knock the soil off around the pot, replant it into, around off the roots I should say, and replant it into the pot with some beautiful fresh soil. I would be using the Osmocote Professional Premium Standard Potting Mix. You'll see the little red tick on the bottom. That is the best way to go. Peter in Mount Barker, South Australia, what fertiliser should I use around fruit trees? Well, the answer is you should be using a specialist fruit tree fertiliser. I'm not gonna give you a particular brand. You don't need that. You want to look for, a, ideally, uh, a fruit and citrus fertiliser that covers both. Uh, it's really going to just encourage the flowering and support the development of fruit on the plant. Megan in Tasmania, she's got a nectarine tree. She bought it last winter. It's got curly leaf in the first season. She sprayed it with a copper spray. It's really good, but there's still some curly leaves coming back. It will take a couple of years, maybe even three years of spraying them in the peak of winter and just before bud burst with, with that copper spray. Again, that co-side is the one that I, I do trust at home in my garden, and I've had the same problems. What you should do right now though, is go through and pick off those affected leaves by hand, just pull them away, throw them into a, into a bag, pop them into the bin, don't put them in the compost, don't put them anywhere else in the garden, pick them off, take them away, you'll reduce the, the level of infection, and then if you spray again next winter, you'll get rid of it altogether. They do grow out of curly leaf. Monica, I'm not sure where you are, Monica. She's got a frangipani with three forks. They each have two new leaves. The parrots have been pecking at two of them. Will it grow again? The answer is yes, it will grow again, and the parrots won't keep doing that because that, uh, that sap in the frangipani uh, is toxic and it's not good for them, so they're going to move away. Marika, um, which trees are great for frost and very hot weather? Silver, silver birch or elms? Uh, the soil mix is a mix between clay and sandy in certain areas. Look, my experience is, depending on where you are in the country, and this is why it's important you let us know where you are, my experience is that silver birch really do love a lot of water, and if it gets hot and dry, um, they will set back. Elms can be the same. You could go for some safer options if you're determined to get deciduous trees. So things like plane trees, uh, they tend to be something that will handle the hot extremes. Um, poplars will handle hot extremes. There are some that do quite well in that environment. And of course, evergreens are always a really good way to go, Marika. We're, um, we're tracking very well at the moment. We've got lots of questions still flowing through. Jen, been living in my current home for 11 years, and in all that time, I've never once seen an earthworm. Do you think this means that there aren't any, or are they deeper than what I'm digging when I plant something? There's 
probably two or three reasons why you may not have them. The first one you need to be conscious of is that there's ever been some toxic chemicals that are residual sprayed over the lawn. They may well be affecting the ability of earthworms and other beneficial uh, soil organisms to grow. And that's that would be a bit of a worry for me. Um, but if your soil is dry and if it's lacking organic material, you are going to find that you'll have a very, very small population of worms. If you wanted to improve that by mulching quite thickly, like get a good 100 mil layer of mulch over the top, um, you will find in a very short period of time, if you're keeping that mulch moist, you will start seeing earthworms come to the surface. So give it a shot, I hope that helps. Marie in Melly, uh, what can I plant now for summer colour? Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's available right now, and it depends whether you're planting in full sun or in shade. If you're in a really hot, dry location, go for things like selvias. They are always a fabulous plant to deliver lots of summer colour. Um, and there's some great selvias that are coming out of nurseries in Victoria. So they're, they're one option, but there's, look, there's so many. Get into your local garden centre, have a talk to them, or jump online. People like um, uh, Garden World, uh, they'll help you with a whole bunch of suggestions and it just gets down to your soil conditions. And as I said, if you're in the shade, you might want to be going for things like impatience. They could be something that's worth considering. So uh, let's go Nora in Gore in Victoria. I'm not sure where Gore is. Uh, my nectarine tree is one year old. I reckon it's got leaf curl. Wanting to know if it's too late to treat with lime sulfur spray. It is definitely too late and you shouldn't be using lime sulfur spray. Use Coside if you want to get rid of leaf curl. It's the best way to go. So um, that's great. Keenan in Victoria. Hi, Keenan. I know that you're a big, uh, big supporter of ours. Thanks for tuning in. What fertiliser can I use for my fajoa? Well, fajoas are a fruiting tree that, that originate from the South Pacific and um, probably most famous really in New Zealand where they really do grow great fajoa crops. And... Um, Look, the best fertiliser for them, it's really going to be something like a citrus fertiliser. We're really having a big run on that today as far as the specialist fruit fertilisers go, but that's a great one to use. Uh, Rhonda wants to know whether you can plant rhubarbs next to a lemon tree. Answer is absolutely, Rhonda. Plant as many as you like. Plant them on the edge of the tree, though, so on the drip line, which is that outsider edge of the, the foliage of the tree, and you'll get the best results because you'll get a bit of shade and a bit of sun, and rhubarb love that. Janet wants to what do you suggest to get rid of uh, gardener mealybugs? Well, I did mention early on you can get um, some, some friendly bugs, some beneficial um, predatory bugs. Get them online from the Good Bug Store uh, or there, there'll be others that'll be available online, but I know you can get them there. The other thing is if you want an instant reaction, um, probably Bathroid is going to be the chemical you use to get them, um, get rid of them. And that's going to be a bit of a drench over the foliage and also the soil at the base. Bernadette in Perth, Agapanthus plants have white mould-like soot and the leaves are all crinkled. That is mealybug, Bernadette, and I've seen the same problem in my own garden at different times. And again, go back to Bathroid, give it a really good drench, a nice soak, and you'll be fine. Let's have a look. Pearl, I'm not sure where you are, Pearl. Um, I suspect you might be in Victoria, could be wrong. You've got three Japanese maples, two red and one slightly red green. The possums love to eat all the new red maple leaves to the stage of totally leaving the trees bare. She's chased them away at night, but there must be another way. And I mentioned earlier on, good thing to do, if you can dust them with crushed chilli and white pepper, so wet the plants down first, then dust over 
it really irritates their sinuses and they, they'll sneeze and they'll huff and puff and whilst they might like the taste of the new foliage, they'll get sick of it pretty quickly and move on. There is another technique that I know some people use and that is by putting some fruit out on, on the fence line or even a possum feeder so that you direct them away from eating that fresh growth. Um, sometimes it's a bit like going to the lolly shop. You have some that you really like and some that you're okay about. Um, but you'll always gravitate to the ones you like. Give them something that they might like. Penelope in Perth, she's got a problem with grasshoppers. Can I help? Uh, you're in Perth, so there's a company that does a grasshopper and cricket bait. It's basically a bram bait that's been, I think it's soaked in carbaryl, which is a, a, quite a toxic insecticide. You would literally shake those, those flakes around. The grasshoppers will go to that straight away and the carbaryl controls them very, very effectively. Um, short of going and picking them by hand, there's not too many other uh, opportunities to control grasshoppers because they move around so much. Michelle in Perth, hi there. What's the best way to keep rats away from a small residential veggie garden? Michelle, keeping rats away is a really big challenge. Traps is really going to be the only way you're going to do it. I'm afraid um, in, in uh, the, the metro areas of the cities all around Australia, we have this problem. And short of putting predators like cats out there, you are not going to keep them away from the veggie garden without um, trapping them in some way or another. I, I prefer trapping just as a point of interest to poisoning. And the reason is that um, there are birds, for example, like kookaburras that will eat um, a dead rat or alternatively try and eat one that's a bit sick and, um, and they will be in turn poisoned as well. So you don't really want that. Hannah in Perth, my dwarf apple trees are just sticks in a pot. Should they have leaves or any growth coming into spring? And she's had them for about a month. Good news is, Hannah, they do. They're one of the last of the deciduous trees to open up the foliage. They should be just doing it now. Michelle in Victoria, how do you know when you're buying a good quality compost? Look for the red ticks. Always look for the red ticks. Price is a determinator as well. Generally, you pay for what you get. So it's a little more expensive. It's got the red ticks. You're going to end up with a great quality compost. And when you get into soil yards, if you're looking at it and it looks pretty raw, you can see a lot of the original structure of the organic material that went into it. Um, I would avoid that. Generally, that hasn't broken down. Sue, she's got two grevilleas that have lost their leaves. She's applied a slow-release granule around them a few months ago. What can I do? I'd love to see a photo, Sue. How about sending a photo in and let us know where you're from because it also affects what type of things could be causing that damage. You could have things like mites affecting them. It could be that they're in shade. It could be that they got a burn from that fertiliser, but I will be able to identify it if you send me a photo. Sue, at Tenterfield in northern New South Wales, I love that part of the world. It is absolutely beautiful. Now she's got a plot of 120 tortured willow trees. What a great name for a plant. It's called the tortured tree because the, the branches are all twisted and they make the most fantastic um, addition to dry flower arrangements or, or cut flower arrangements. The problem's developed with a black sooty mould throughout all of the trees. How can you control it? Well, the black sooty mould could be one of two things. Highly likely that it's not the cause of a problem, but once it gets really bad, it can actually suffocate the tree's ability to photosynthesise. So all the green area on the tree produces energy, the black sooty mould spreads across it, it's generally, it's generally gonna block it out. But the black sooty mould is being farmed. There is no doubt in my mind, it's actually, uh, caused by ants or caused by uh, plants like, uh, sorry, animals like aphids or mealybug. Now, 
um, what's happening is they're emitting this sucrosy substance um, called honeydew from their rear, and as it spreads across, that is the food source, that sh high sugar level is the food source for black sooty mould. And ants will move it around um, on their feet, literally around the plant. So my suggestion is that you go and have a good look at what insect's causing it. Could be scale, for example, and you will need to treat the insect. Uh, you ideally want to stop the ants getting through as well. But generally, if you can treat whatever the insect is, and it, it'll be a, a sucking insect, um, you will then control the ants as a byproduct of that. They'll lose interest and move away. And the, as far as the, the black sooty mould goes, an application of a copper-based fungicide like Cocide will help clean it up. Cynthia, my giant Dianella goodness has seeds. My giant Dianella goodness, okay. And uh, flower pods going black instead of flowering. What do I do? I would love to see a photograph of that, Cynthia. I wouldn't feel confident giving you, with the information I have, giving you information that, or giving you advice that suggests that you do any one particular thing. So send us a photo in. Uh, it'll, it will help a lot. Um, Barb, do waratahs grow well in the Albury Wodonga area? There is a, a brilliant um, grower of uh, proteas called Protea flora in Victoria. They select varieties that are extremely hardy and will grow all over the country, even here in Perth. I've grown them in my garden. Um, generally, the thing with proteas is there's actually a, a beneficial um, um, fungal, a fungi that exists in the soil in New South Wales that allows them to do so well. So if you don't have that in the soil, that can be a bit of a problem. My suggestion, um, my suggestion to you, I think at this moment in time, would be to look for, in, in your local garden centre, um, some of the warat waratahs from Protea flora. I think you'll find uh, the soil will be set up right and they should do pretty well. I hope that helps. Waratahs are a little bit fickle at times, so they can be a bit hit and miss. Catherine, success in WA. My lime tree has is massive and gets a huge crop every year. Can I prune it right back now? They seem to be either fruiting or flowering, but it's becoming difficult to reach the fruit. Um, Catherine, I would wait until you get the harvest and then I would prune it. I wouldn't prune it before. What I would do is make sure you don't feed it and back off with the water. So if it's got a sprinkler near it, maybe cap that sprinkler let the tree, just slow the tree's growth down a little bit and then prune it when you uh, harvest your crop, which is going to be sort of March, April, May next year. Mine is exactly the same. They're growing really, really well. It's been a very good spring for those of us who are gardening here in Western Australia. Janie, I've got a huge bird of paradise bush that keeps spreading. How do I stop it from getting bigger at the base? It sounds to me like you've got the, the tree form of the bird of paradise. And the only way to, to control it is to keep cutting away those suckers as they emerge. And uh, it, it can be quite problematic in tight areas and narrow areas, but you are best to control it just by cutting it away. And uh, I have a, um, I have the thing called a sappy. It's kind of like a machete. It's a, a tool that foresters use in the Northern Hemisphere. 
um, company called Fiskars sells them in Australia. I don't know whether they still sell them, but it's worthwhile looking for. It's perfect for getting rid of these. A machete would do the job as well, Janie. I hope that helps. Isaac, can you put a compost bin right next to your fruit trees? Well, there's no reason why not. As it, as it breaks down, it releases nutrients. So that, that's just going straight into the soil. It's only going to benefit your fruit trees. Uh, and of course, uh, hopefully you're pouring a lot of that compost in around the base of the trees. Ellen in Melbourne. I have a lot of onion weed in my buffalo lawn and I'm getting tired of digging them out. Can I use a correct weed and feed? Um, weed and feed won't control onion weed in lawns. That's um, it's quite a challenge actually. The, the best way to get rid of onion weed, Alan, and I know this probably sounds a little intensive, but you don't have to use chemicals. What you are best to do is to either mow on a twice weekly basis almost three times a week. And if you did that for about six to eight weeks, guess what? No onion weed, it'll disappear. You're literally stopping it being able to produce everything uh, that, that causes the problem. Now, how are we going? It's 9.55, we have been going for 55 minutes flat out. And I do not know how many questions we've answered in that last 55 minutes. There's been so many, but there are still questions coming through, but we're going to have to stop. And I'm really sorry about that. But we'll do this again because it was good fun. The good news is we're back with The Garden Gurus Live this Friday. So hopefully you can join me then. I'm Trevor Cochran. I look forward to, uh, to sharing some more garden advice and we'll introduce you to some pretty interesting people this week as well. It's um, 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Remember folks, over here in the West and in South Australia, in the Northern Territory, we're all on different time frames. So don't tune in at 12 o'clock because you're only going to be able to watch back the, um, the previous episode. And you do that via our live stream, um, uh, sorry, via our um, Facebook page or Spotify, Apple Podcast and Podbean. Wow. How's that? Good job, everybody. It's a big team here that, that back us with uh, with all of this. I think we've um, we've covered a lot of questions for you. I hope you've enjoyed that, folks. And I am looking forward to seeing you on Friday. I'm Trevor Cochran. We'll see you then. A dig, 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 digging around. Dig, 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 digging the ground. I got my spade. I got my hoe. I got my rake, and I'm ready to go. The Garden Gurus is back on your TV this weekend. Now, we know that this can be a little bit confusing, so listen carefully, folks. We're on 9 and 9HD for New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory on Saturday at 12.30pm. For South Australia and Tasmania, we'll be on your screens on Saturdays at 4.30pm. And for those in WA, tune in Sundays at 5.30pm. And on Nine Life across all states, you can watch the Garden Gurus team every Saturday from tomorrow at 5 p.m. Dig, I dig, dig, dig in the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my speed, I got my hole, I got my rig, and I'm ready to go. Dig in the ground.